Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Hi, I don't usually do an intro to the author part, the B episode, but I wanted to mention that I am add, also adding a new section to this part of the podcast. In the A section, uh, once or twice a month, I'm going to have Tom Holbrook on, and I hope you already listened to that and heard us, our discussion on some books and the state of bookstores, etc. Well, this episode, the writer episode, B episode, I now am going to have Roland Denzel on once or twice a month, and we're going to talk about the state of the industry. You probably know Roland. You may have heard his name uh, on other podcasts, and I know I'm in a community with him. And so I know he researches news and kind of has his thumb on where things are. So I thought it'd be a really good thing to get him on and talk some uh, stuff that was of interest to authors in the author section. So Tom will be first, and then the second half of the interview with Matt Hughes. So enjoy. Sure. All right. So on Discover Wordsmith news segment for writing for the writers, that half of the podcast, I'd like to ro welcome Roland Denzel. De Roland, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm enjoying some, uh, I usually live in Colorado. I'm enjoying some time with my mother and my siblings here in Southern California. So I'm enjoying Ooh. the nice warm weather. Oh yeah. I lived in San Diego for a while. Uh, uh, it's definitely different. I've got snow out there today in like three hours. I got half an inch. So. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I hear back home it's snowing, so like I'm like, yeah, I'm here, Colorado. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna go would... to the V. I'm gonna go to the beach. <laughs> I I've done that on the holidays too. So Roland, um, this is going to be on the author segment of my podcast. I I when I talk to new authors, I have a reader segment. We talk about their book, and then I have an author segment where I ask them, you know, what's it like to be a new author, and you know, what have you learned that type of thing. So I thought uh, it would be great knowing that you do a lot in various communities of what's coming up, what big news there is, or how things are affecting authors, I thought, let's pick Roland's brain a little bit. So uh, coming up here for the holidays, Roland, let me ask you, we're, we're coming up into the holidays. I know this month is NaNoWriMo, and that's just about over. Now we're coming up in the holidays and new books and stuff coming out. So what do you see in the industry right now that is of interest to readers or uh, writers affecting writers or if there's some interesting news item that you've run across i think the biggest thing overall is if you're if you've been publishing on amazon or if you're in any groups where you see a lot of amazon authors you'll <clears throat> notice that there have been a lot of bugs and or as amazon just says they're features that they're rolling out but they're like rolling out really crazy and i think it's just a sort of a sign that that, that they're not as solid as they pretend to be. 
And we're also seeing traditionally published authors, like, so whether you're an indie author, traditionally published author, we're seeing traditionally published authors suffering the same fates that indie authors always say that, that oh, it's Amazon hates indie authors. Well, it's not because you're seeing like traditionally published authors having the same errors and the same problems as indie authors. So the, the playing field is much more level, right? And I'm also seeing... Because of this, a lot of authors are starting to go more towards the other retailers, Barnes and Noble and Kobo and um and Apple. And they're starting to see more inroads there too. So um, so I think that's a really good sign for authors that there's more of a chance than than ever for us to have a, a sort of a level playing field in the in the publishing space. I, I agree. And I, I know I've seen an uptick in my Barnes and Noble and my Tolino and Scribed and all of those type of sales without really doing anything. It's it's increased over the last six to nine months. Uh, so I think people might be going out to buy books there more. And I know with the software thing, I'm a software guy and I know software projects, uh, when the executives get a hold of it, sometimes <laughs> <laughs> that causes a lot of problems. But I here's my what I would imagine that Amazon looks at it and says, okay, the book stuff isn't the biggest deal we have. So we're going to put less programmers on there and put some of our more junior people. And it's not saying that they don't know what they're doing, but you know, they are still maybe learning or it's not enough people to handle what needs done. So they're rushing. And I've been in both situations Uh, or it could just be, we've purchased 50 different companies and tried to combine everything. It's kind of a Frankenstein mess that all the programmers are dealing with. So when you do something, there's little bugs and problems because we really don't know where everything's at and how it works. And oh, we broke it without realizing it. I've been in all those situations. So yeah. I, I don't subscribe to the, oh, Amazon's purposefully trying to ruin things for indie authors. You know, they want to make money. If indie authors make money for them, then they're good with it. Yeah, we you said something that was very important that I think a lot of authors don't realize is that we, so Amazon might have started as a bookstore, right? But now like like most people don't I mean they use yeah, that's where most books come from these days, but most people don't use it as a bookstore as much as just a store. Right. And and so even if you just look at the the sales of things on Amazon, books are sort of a, a very small percentage. But if you look at all the things that Amazon does overall, like books are a tiny little bit. So they a they don't have time to focus on all the features that all the authors think that they should focus on. But on the other hand, they don't really have time to be like you know like looking at us you know under the microscope like people think they are either so like they're not like out to get us they're not out to control us like it's just not really their thought it's like that story about you know like you know the ants you know like you know does a you know does a giant really worry about what the ants are doing i mean, don't right. even see them like they're there we know you need the ants to do stuff we don't want to exterminate the ants because they have a good part of the ecosystem but like whatever if we don't see them they're fine <laughs> and we'd right. rather not see them because like when you do see them it's it bites yeah right yeah I agree. And I honestly, I think they have been rolling out new features. So we have gotten some new things now might not be as fast, might not be everything everybody wants, but come on, folks, this is all free. You know, you could go back to the days when you had to buy 5,000 books to store in your living room and spend all that time and money trying mm -hmm. to market through magazines and radio and going to fairs with a stack of books in your trunk. 
I mean, I honestly, I don't think it's as horrible, but I do uh, like being wide and not only relying yeah. on Amazon personally. Yeah, like my genre is I, I write primarily nonfiction for health, health and fitness, and that's definitely wide. Like the like KU Kindle Unlimited is not the is not the right market for right. Uh, for my books. So I'm like question of wide, right? No question. Um, yeah, so for sure. Um, yeah, things are. Yeah, you 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 said it very well. You said it very well. So. Uh, what what do you see? We have a you know the, what five six weeks left in the year, which is crazy. Once again, we seem to say that every year. <laughs> um, do you see anything coming up of interest to authors before Christmas? Besides a lot of authors trying to get their books out for the holidays and all that, do you see anything interesting coming up? Um, I mean, I don't think there's anything specific interesting like coming up right away that's specific to authors i think um it's interesting to to take a to sort of take take stock of what you've accomplished and what you can you know look at for the next year and um but on the other hand like the way the indie author I, i've seen been seeing a lot of authors that are down on themselves oh, i didn't write as many books as i could this year or like i didn't write as much as i could or where am i and now they're like, well, well, the holidays are coming up and they're trying to rush to get something out before the end of the year. It doesn't do you a lot of good to rush to get something out at the end of the year unless it's your best work. So you should diligently work to get out your best work and publish it when it's ready to go. But I also remind you that um, even though we think books are exciting to buy at the, at the, at the holiday season for gifts, like is your book really the kind of like if you put your book on amazon it's going to be one in a million in a million new books that go out there and are people really going to rush to buy your book for the holidays you might be better served unless it's a holiday focused book you might be better served by launching your book by waiting giving it another round of edits waiting till the perfect time and waiting till this storm of black friday right small business saturday cyber monday which is now like spread like i got messages today saying that black friday starts today i go no it doesn't it starts next week now you've just changed it to start today right. just because it's friday you can't just you know that's another <laughs> complaint right but, uh, but i don't mind that because if that keeps people home rather than killing each other to get a tv for 50 dollars off stay at home yeah. you know i i'm all for that so <laughs> yeah yeah for sure but it's interesting, like I had an um, an author, I, as I work with like coach authors as well. And I, so I had one like last year, like I really got to get my book out for Black Friday, get a bit my book out for Black Friday. And I, you know, it's like, I tried to, you know, give her the speech that I just gave, but she insisted, but like literally like she sold like one book and it was like, no, it was fewer books than she had typically sold her, with her other launches when they were in less um, competitive times. So people want people don't look at black friday and cyber monday and all those things typically for books some people might right but it's you know in general it's not so it's usually better to sort of wait till it's the right time rather than uh, than take advantage of the time that's right there i absolutely agree uh and they got to remember you know the big places the companies whatever they start ramping up marketing and getting ready in August. They don't wait until November 1st to 
try and throw everything together. So if you haven't done that, I've had to do that and back off a little bit because of some personal issues. I'm like, okay, not getting everything I wanted for Christmas. Um, but I have a friend who owns a gray mart. It's a little, you know, like gas mart station and mm -hmm. he writes his books and he sells them in there, but he also has a liquor license. So what he does is a, Hey, buy a book with a bottle of wine. It's a great gift. It's good for sitting around for the holidays. And then he has a special where it's all three of his books with the three wines that go with the books. That's so a great idea. if you're going to do something for Christmas, do something that's attractive, you know, a gift box and something, just a book by itself won't draw anyone's attention. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, if you I mean, if you sell signed books, that could be an opportunity, you know, but um, my books don't make great gifts because like you can't say like, oh, here, give this gift of lo losing weight. Right? <laughs> like No one wants to get the no one wants to get unwrapped that. Oh, you think I need to lose? I remember that when my stepfather gave my my mother a thigh master for Christmas one year and she's like, what? <laughs> well, you, you could get the, the diet book. Uh, with a scale and give it as like a combo gift. That would probably go over real well. Yeah, even better, <laughs> even better, yeah. yeah. It's anonymous. I don't know. It's a secret Santa gift. Right. right. Now, I could see, though, uh, like your fitness books, if you're pairing it uh, a book with a uh, home gym set or something like that, because it's yeah, something they if, want, or barbells, yeah, you know. If you know somebody wants them, it's total, It's totally fine. But like you gave a great example of the wine. Um, that's maybe a little bit hard to ship if you if all of your books are like yeah. in mail order. But you could do like candles or essential oils. Yes. Um, like one of my uh, romance writer friends um, does um, like stickers. So she makes little bundles of paperback of her like three for like, the first three of her paperback series. And each one, like you said, has like a little, like a, a tiny little thing that goes with it. And she makes it in a little box. Like you get those fancy boxes on Etsy, you know, like that are so yeah. like, beautifully put together. And she does that. And she says, you know, I only have, you know, she's a big, she only has 50. I wish I had that kind of problem, only having 50 of something to do. Right. <laughs> right? And she sell and she sells out every Christmas season. Right. And that's like the, the level of production that she wants to put into it. She knows she can sell out. And she puts it together and she makes a good profit of it and she makes super fans and she also makes super fan because she also slips in a little extra gift for the person, the gift giver as well. And, and, you know, so it's great. So it's like, you can do something like that. That's super creative. Yeah. I like that. I, I'm writing my one set of characters. I'm writing a short story that's Christmas based and I'm going to offer that online with a link to the book. Um, but then I also have started doing uh, an old tradition was telling Christmas story or ghost stories on Christmas Eve. And a lot oh, of the really? ghost That's stories great. were. Yeah, in Victorian times, that was what they did. Christmas Eve, they got together. That's where uh, Christmas Carol came from, essentially. Oh, and nice. uh, it was um, the serialized. They would put things in the newspaper or whatever over four weeks or whatever. So that's the other thing I'm trying to get off the ground and do is write a serial fiction ghost story at Christmas every year and release it. And uh, I market to parents and schools. So, hey, sign up, get this emailed to you every Monday leading up to Christmas and your kids have a story, part of a story to read. It builds up and, you know, and oh, if you like this, check out my books, <laughs> you know, so sometimes not focusing on selling the book, but other things will actually draw more attention to the book. That's the hope if you do, depending on what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So, all right. Well, hey, man, I want to keep you. I appreciate you jumping on. Uh, You're in, very welcome. In, uh, this 
you know, a week, less than a week before Thanksgiving. So uh, have a great Thanksgiving. I appreciate it. Happy great Thanksgiving to you too. Thanks for having uh, me. Let's move on and talk some author stuff. And we have a really good topic today. A lot of authors want to talk about finishing your book and that we're going to talk about beginnings. Before we do that, though, you have been writing for a long time. So what are some things in even your fiction you've been writing for quite a while? What are some things that you've learned through that time that you're doing different with your writing than you used to? It was always pretty good right from the beginning. I, I sold my first short story that I ever wrote in 1982, and I've sold virtually everything I've written since. I had a knack for it. That's, and it certainly didn't hurt that I spent decades writing speeches, that is, writing for the voice and bringing across character to audiences who sit there saying, why am I listening to this guy? It's because I can make you listen. But I know some things, and I think I knew them pretty early on. One thing, as I said before, it's always about conflict. Characters have to contend against each other and, and their circumstances. The one thing that I find most obvious when I give advice or teach or do critiquing or editing for people who are trying to learn how to do this business is that you have to do a really good opening. And recently, I looked at a few pages of someone I know um, who asked me to have a look at what he was doing. And it started with a guy getting up in the morning and going in the kitchen and having coffee and talking to his mother. And then his friend showed up and they talked a little and absolutely nothing happened. They all got along very well with each other. It was... Here's the thing, the real problem, and it's got nothing really to do with literary considerations. It has to do with how the market works, the industry. Agents and editors are the gatekeepers now. It used to be you could write a thing and send it in to a publisher, and there would be somebody there who would read it or read some of it and decide whether or not it was worth looking at. They were called slush readers. And Slush was the stuff that came in, as they would say, over the transom. All of that ended decades ago. Um, the corporations took over the independent publishers and turned them into profit centers. And one of the things that makes profit is to cut costs. So they got rid of all those slush readers, assistant editors, and they pushed the job of winnowing, triaging, they pushed that down onto the agents. The agents responded. They said, okay, we're no longer going to take 10%. We'll take 15% because now we have to do all this extra stuff. And that happened. So there's a story that a, a famous, very powerful New York agent tells at writers' conferences. He says that they, they get 800 queries a month, 700 to 800. 10% of which they send a note saying, send us the synopsis and the first chapter. And then once a month, usually on a Friday afternoon, they gather, all the agents gather around a big table in the conference room, and they have this stack of 70 or 80 first chapters. And they start to pass them around. And what they're doing is deciding 
uh, am I going to read this on my own time on the weekend? Because nobody ever has time to read. They're always so busy marketing, reviewing contracts, looking at manuscripts for people they already represent. The idea of reading something new and seeing it maybe will represent this person, that's done on their own time, largely. So say there's six agents sitting around a table, and down comes the first chapter, and a guy looks at it and reads maybe the first page. If it doesn't catch his interest, he gives it to her. She reads it. Maybe it catches. Maybe it doesn't. If it doesn't, it goes around the table, goes into a stack, and that person will get a form letter on Monday morning from one of the secretaries saying, sorry, it didn't catch us. It didn't click with us. Good luck. So here's the thing. I always recommend to people that in order to get past this gate, the gatekeeper, you don't start your story with establishing character or background. Certainly don't write a prologue about the history of the world, the fantasy world you're talking about. Start with your character in motion, in conflict, in something is happening, and we know the story has started. It's not going to start on page five. It started on page one, the Louis L'Amour approach. You know, you have your character in trouble on page one. And if you do that and you weave in the backstory bit by bit, little penny packets of, of backstory as you go along, you're much more likely to get past that first triage as you go around the circle or whatever it is. Somebody picks up your story and gives it maybe a page and a half, and they decide then, not, they don't read 20 pages, 30 pages, if it doesn't catch them in the first couple. And the trick is to know that character does not have to be described. You don't have to introduce your characters and who they are and what they're all like. Never mind that. Characters are what they do. You show the characters in action, in conflict. It doesn't have to be big conflict. It doesn't have to be a, a brawl or a sword fight. It can be just two guys arguing with each other, maybe with humor even. doesn't matter. As long as you've got something going on like that, you can fill in all the rest of it later. Now, it's what I do, and I've now I've sold 24 novels and a, almost 100 short stories and novellas and whatnot. And that's my standard approach. I start with a character in motion. And, I, and that, one of the things, I'm obviously nowhere near as experienced as you are, but one of the things I've found for myself is that I need to just write. And if I could go back to when I first started writing, I would tell myself, quit reading the craft books, quit going to the conventions, quit listening to every podcast, sit down and write a book, write a couple short stories, then write another book, then try out the other stuff, see what education you need. And you have to have that writing experience because I heard a lot of feedback from people saying this first chapter needs to be improved. And I know a lot of authors spend 10 times more time on the first chapter than the whole rest of the book. And that's not good either sometimes. Nope. But it it is a trick to put a first chapter that's part of the whole story, not just an action sequence necessarily, unless it's Indiana Jones. Like if you're writing about middle schoolers, it might be the kid going into school, but you could have a conflict with the bullies and he's late to class and he forgot something else. But it, it tells you, like you said, 
tells you who the character is through all the actions, but you feel for this kid. And that sets it up rather than, like you said, he gets up to his mom, argues with her about going to school, eats his toast. That's boring. So actually, I, I sold a series of stories to fantasy and science fiction about a wizard's henchman called Baltimore. And it started off with him as a 10 year old actually arguing with his mother because his mother said, you've got to go to school. And he said, no, I don't <laughs> want to go to school, but she gets sent. And the moment he arrives at the alley that leads to the school, there are three bullies there to pay school tax. Give me your lunch money. I just nailed your story. <laughs> but that one really worked because... The place where he crosses the market square to get to the alley that leads to the school is where some money changers work. And one of them has a debt collector, a big guy called Vunt. And the kid decides he's going to hire Vunt to sort out the bullies. You'll pay him a half a penny a day. Okay. Because that's all he can afford. And then becomes a relationship and then... All kinds of things develop after that. So what would you tell new authors listening? How do they figure out the beginning of their book, the first couple pages? How do they figure out if what they wrote is something that should be jettisoned or what to write? How do they do that? If you're a new writer and you're like, this is my character, I need the brain works. What advice do you have for them to tell them, here's how to figure out what you should have in that first chapter? The classic thing in genre fiction, they always say, is show, don't tell, by which I take it to mean, don't explain your character to me. Don't tell me what that character is. Show me what that character is like by what the character is doing and the, pick the key details of what's going on in that scene, details that really go to character. If you do that, you stand a very good chance of, of actually getting an interesting character. But if you're going to explain to me how Prince Harry was raised to be this and no, no, I want to see Prince Harry being who he is. And always, characters are what they do. Characters are not real people. They're story elements. And they are what they do. And I very often don't describe a character at all. Um, yeah, I don't Baltimore, do for example, that, that character, I take him from 10 years old to retirement, most of which he spends as a wizard's henchman, not a very nice wizard either, tries to get him killed a lot. I don't describe Baltimore at all. And I've not had tons of people read the stories in the magazine, and more of them have bought the collection of stories that I put together, which is now a, an ebook, a paperback, and very good audiobook. I got a guy who does wonderful voices to do that. But I've not had anybody ever send me an email or make a comment, you know, on a Facebook page or something. I don't know what Baltimore looks like. You don't describe him. They don't care what he looks like. It doesn't matter what he looks like. What matters is what he does in a story. So agreed. And I've noticed with some series where you have the same characters, you grow to love the characters. I'm thinking of the Spencer books, but there's other stuff where the first chapter doesn't even necessarily 
have to involve that main character after you've gotten that first book or so done. It's the mystery that's getting started. It's focused on the bad guy. It's focused on the person they're against, the car chase right at the beginning, but it's not even Spencer or whatever series and characters it is. That's a very common thing, too. You see it a lot in TV shows, too. We're talking Spencer the detective, right? Robert B. Parker. Here's the thing. Robert B. Parker never describes Spencer. And the, the tales are told in the first person, usually, from Spencer saying, I did this and I did that. And yeah. nowhere does he look in a mirror and say, I noticed that I was still six foot two. <laughs> right. you know, none of that. What you do get, though, hang on, there's a very interesting technique, and he does it, well, he's dead now, but he did it wonderfully well. Other people react to Spencer in a way that tells you that he's big, he's handsome, he's very well coordinated all of that from how other characters react to him, which I think is brilliant technique. Yeah. I guess Spencer wasn't the best example. You just mentioned him earlier, and I know he has a big series, but some things like Mac Bolan, or like what I was thinking, the Supernatural TV show and stuff, the first segment up to the music is not even the main characters. It's usually somebody else and whatever demon of the week and the setting up that, oh my gosh, they're being possessed. And then you get to the characters, but we know the characters, so we don't have to have them introduced every time it's that. What's going to happen with this situation? I had a trilogy from Angry Robot books called To Hell and Back, comic but also serious about a uh, highly high-functioning autistic actuary who accidentally calls up a demon, refuses to make a deal, causes hell to go on strike, was a big kerfuffle, and then out of that, he, he ends up as what he'd always wanted to be. He's a big comics fan, and he wants to be a costumed crime fighter, which he has help from a weasel-headed, saber-toothed demon who goes around with him and does things. Now, I did three of those books, and the second one, I think it was the second one, Might have been the third. One of them opened with an entirely different character, a nasty psychopathic con man who fleeced old ladies out of their their life savings and mortgages and so on. And I did a whole chapter on him, and then my hero came in and sorted him out. But it it worked perfectly well. People liked the book. Yeah, you don't have to do what so many people try to do, which is just start an ordinary day. You can make a situation. It doesn't have to have the hero in it, although as a general rule, I like to have my hero on the first page, although most of my heroes are actually anti-heroes. They're not particularly nice people. At their best, they're, they can be highly egotistical. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask this then. The beginning of the book and what you should do for the beginning of the book, what would you tell people? Because I know a lot of people get that first book done or they just have a blank page and they're like, I don't even know how to start. I don't know what the beginning of writing a book is like. What would you say to help them with getting that second book started or even the first book? There's all different ways into the forest. And, And this is important for people to understand when they start to do this. Seriously, they're really trying to write. Some people, they have to do a big detailed outline. Everything to work the whole story out. 
right from the beginning to the middle to the end, and then they start writing the scenes. Other people cannot do that. I cannot. One of the blind alleys I went down into when I was first interested in doing this stuff, I was reading how-to books, and I read one that was written by Ken Follett's agent. And he said, the only thing you've got to do is do a completely detailed outline, because that's what Ken does. And then once you've got that outline all worked out, then you just type. I tried that. Can't do it. I'm, I'm what they call a pantser, seat of the pants. I start with a character, a situation. Something happens, of course, there's a problem. The character reacts to it. Other characters come involved, react, and organically, out of the guy in the back of my head, I create the situations and they move forward. And I, I'm lucky in that the guy in the back of my head seems to know exactly what he's doing because my first drafts are like 90% of the final. The story just seems to unwind naturally, organically, as I do a thousand words a day. So there are people who are complete outliners, and there are people like me who are complete pantsers, and then there's a spectrum in between, and different writers fall into different parts of that spectrum. And the way you find out which one you are where you fit on that spectrum is you write and you see what works for you and you see what doesn't work for you. Like for me, outlining does not work. So I'd never do it. I just make the character and get him rolling and then see what happens. And I think that's what I've discovered. And that's what I think is the best advice. I don't understand the people who will debate endlessly as to which one's better or which one you should do. And it's like, just start writing. I know people who have been planning to write their first book for six months or people that mm. are working on their book for four and a half years because they're not sure if they should outline it or if they're, if they should do this. It's just right. I've been working with kids on storytelling yeah. and, and I, the teachers teach grammar. They teach sentence structure and spelling. Good. I'm working with them more using your imagination and getting that out, getting a story out. And that's what I work and tell them is, Story is the king. If you have a few little grammar mistakes, but the story is really strong, people will like it. But if you have everything spelled right, but it's a crap story, nobody cares. And some kids need that outline so they can write and do good. But other kids just start going off. And I think it's just how your brain works sometimes. It is. It's a matter of discovery. You find out what kind of writer you are by writing. That's it. Absolutely. And yeah. I'm thinking I've got a new book coming out before Christmas. I've got a lot of books coming out. I was um, going to say that. You seem to have a couple on the way. I've got one that's a reprint coming out before the end of the month. But before Christmas, I have one coming out from PS Publishing, a very good small press in the UK. And I'm mentioning it not just to plug it. It's called Ghost Dreams. And it's about a commercial burglar. Not a house burglar, a guy who does warehouses and wholesalers and so on, who gets haunted, you could say, by a woman who was railroaded into an insane asylum in the 1940s because she married the son of a wealthy family and they didn't want her. And then he died and they just shoved her into the, you got a judge to say she's crazy and put her away. And then they took the baby that she was carrying and they gave it away. 
And so she haunted the asylum, and then she haunted the house that was built on the asylum, and that's how she ended up meeting the burglar. Here's the thing. When I was 15, 16, my favorite author was Thorne Smith, now almost completely forgotten, but he wrote these extremely funny books about ghosts and statues coming to life, and everybody was drunk all the time. He's writing during Prohibition. And his most famous character is Topper, the banker who meets these, uh, his neighbors end up as ghosts, and they take him on wild rides, get him drunk. It's funny as hell. Farce is what it is. And I started out to write that. I was going to write about a burglar and a ghost. It was all very funny. But as the characters came out of my head and began to develop and extrapolate, it didn't turn out to be a farce. It, it turned out to be a kind of offbeat romance in which two people, one dead, one alive, who had been wounded by life, found healing in each other. It's actually quite a sweet story when you get to the end of it. I had no idea that's what I was going to write. In fact, I thought I was writing something different, but that's where it went. So I follow where it goes. I, I did the same thing. I started off trying to write uh, adult thriller, adult horror, and all that. And finally, another author, a friend of mine, helping me, reading my stuff, he says, why are you write, trying to write this? Because your writing sounds like middle grade. And, I was, and it was a light bulb revelation because uh-huh. I work with kids a lot. I do a lot with kids, and it made the most sense. And when you really sit down and look at it objectively, yeah, the writing is very middle grade. So I'm like, okay, now I'm a middle grade writer. There you go. And, and But again, I had to write multiple things before I really figured that out and discovered it. So again, if well, you're not listening, beginnings. <laughs> that's the key word is discover. You discover yes. what kind of writer you are as you do writing. Uh, because it, uh, after a while, in your case, it, somebody had to point it out to you. But after a while, it becomes obvious what you're doing. Yeah. Yep. All right, so Matt, uh, it's been really great chatting with you. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I'm going to go look your stuff up. Before we go, do you have any last-minute advice for new authors besides just write? There's a guy I used to see at writers' conferences. His name is Don McQuinn, former U.S. Marine officer who wrote energetic fantasy, swords and so on. And he always used to give the same advice. He would say there are many things that are useful to you as a writer. Talent, experience of the world, understanding of character. But if you have to get rid of all of but one, the one thing you keep is perseverance. You never give up. You No surrender. You keep going no matter what. Because it's going to be a struggle for most people. And there are going to be setbacks and disappointments and small victories to encourage you along. But the main thing is, if you believe in yourself and you believe you can do this, don't give up. Nice. Agreed. Like that. All right, Matt, thank you much for being on today. And I, again, I appreciate we had to reschedule. So I appreciate you being flexible in that. That's quite all right. Thank you. Enjoy the house. Maybe next time if we talk, we'll have a new house to look at. Almost certainly. We're just here till the end of November. We're right now in a beautiful place. I don't know. Can you 
see the view. It's a little sunshine. Is that your wife? Hi. Yep, she's sitting there. Yep. We're on a place called Salt Spring Island on the uh, the south coast of BC, and it's beautiful. It's right on the water, and there's birds and trees. Nice. Nice. Great. We'll see where you are if we talk again. That'd be nice. Appreciate okay. it. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use, so I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.